Well, I am uh, thrilled to be sharing with you our fourth message in our series called How to Neighbor. And so we've talked about some pretty relevant, significant topics for current culture. And we talked about um, races reconciled, orphans embraced, the poor empowered. And today we're going to talking about we're going to talk about loving the lonely. And so if I was to ask you, um, who do you think is the most lonely? Like if you could, you know, kind of label a, um, a group, I think a lot of us might think of older adults or widows or singles. But here's the thing. I looked uh, and Global News says that over 54% of people right now, no matter what their age, are feeling lonely, Right? And I'm pretty sure most of us could say, yeah, I've had some seasons where I definitely feel lonely, right? We're living in a culture of relational poverty and loneliness. We're feeling isolated, right? We're, we're having these feelings like nobody cares. Nobody even knows that, that I'm here. And it's not just one specific age group. I truly believe it is across the board for all ages currently in our society. And so you could be a stay-at-home mom and feel alone. You could be a high school student and feel alone. You could be a college student who was in classrooms but now is online doing school and you feel alone. You could be in a dysfunctional, unhappy marriage and feel alone. And so if you've ever felt lonely, this, I believe God has a word for us today about loneliness. So we're going to go to one of my favorite places, my favorite place to go, and that's anywhere that Jesus is. And so we're going to take a look at what Jesus says about loneliness. Now, I think we could probably, most of us could kind of go, what, Jesus was lonely? Like we kind of think like this, this just can't even be a thing, right? Because he was charismatic and people flocked to him, right? Like the disciples and the followers, they like left everything to follow Jesus. And so I I think most of us could kind of assume, no, Jesus couldn't have actually felt lonely, could he? Right? Like he doesn't really know what this feels like. Well, we're going to go to the word of God and we're going to see how Jesus encountered loneliness. And so we're going to read in Matthew 26. We're going to start at verse 36. And as we do, I'm going to share with you two things. There's kind of two parts to the passage, but two things that I've learned about loneliness from this passage. So the first one is in relation to God. Okay, so that's going to be our first thing. So let's, let's read Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus led his disciples to an orchard called the oil press or Gethsemane. And he told them, sit here while I go and pray nearby. He took Peter, Jacob, which was also James, same name, and John with him. However, an intense feeling of great sorrow plunged his soul into agony, and he said to them, my heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief, and it feels as though I'm dying. Stay here and keep watch with me, okay? And then Jesus walked a short distance away and overcome with grief. He threw himself down, face down on the ground and prayed, my father, if there is any way you can deliver me from this suffering, please take it from me. 
Yet what I want is not important, for I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. Then an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him. Now, the first thing I want us to note about this first section of the passage is that Jesus is separated from God the Father, okay? So we know that Jesus is a part of the perfect trinity, okay? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, okay? And so Jesus leaves the perfect community with God the Father and the Spirit to come to earth to be born as a baby in a human form. So he's still fully God, but he's He's now fully human at the same time. And so he's separated physically from the Father. And, and we, we read of his baptism where the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And so there's Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but they're physically separated from God the Father, if that makes sense. And it's this tension, but it's not a contradiction because Jesus is still fully God. And he says, I do what the Father tells me to do. I say the things the Father says for me to say. I follow the Father. He's in perfect communion unity and communion with God the Father and God the, the Holy Spirit, but he's also separated, if that makes sense. And so Jesus is homesick for heaven. He's lonely and he's homesick for the perfect relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's homesick for heaven. And you know, what is so amazing is that we actually have that same feeling, I have said many times, okay, Jesus, it's time for the rapture. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready for all of us to go to heaven. Why? Because, not because I'm suicidal, but because I am homesick for Jesus. I'm homesick for heaven, right? You see, God never designed that it would be this way. Right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, he was walking with Adam and Eve, and he was with them in the cool of the afternoon, right? We read that. This is how it was supposed to be, this perfect dream where God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in perfect physical relationship with humanity, but that dream broke, right? And sin separated us. And so um, it, it's okay for us to long for eternity, to long for heaven, to be homesick for heaven because it wasn't supposed to be this way. And this is just a temporary place where we're in. We have something eternal, something permanent that we get to look forward to, that we get to long after, so you see, God gave us the perfect part of him, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Why? So that we could satisfy and fulfill some of that longing that we have for eternity, but here now on earth. All right? So I hope this makes sense. It's not a contradiction. It's, it's the fullness of God here now. I have the fullness of God, and yet there's more to come. There's a fullness of God in eternity that I'll also experience when I'm with him in heaven. And so Jesus feels this loneliness. And, and what's so amazing is he knows exactly what to do, right? Of course, he's God. He knows what to do every single time. And he says in verses 38 and 39 that he's overcome with grief. And I know I have had that feeling. I have felt like I have been overcome with grief. I have felt lonely, absolutely alone. And I wonder if you've ever felt the same. 
Have you ever felt that loneliness or this sense of grief and you just didn't know what to do? Well, Jesus so clearly, it's like a neon sign. It's like pointing arrows. He's like, do this, do this. What did he do in verse 38 and 39? He surrenders to God. He falls face down before God the Father and he prays. He surrenders to him. And he is like, Father, Daddy, my Abba, my Abba Father, my Daddy, my Daddy, I need you. Is it possible that you could change this plan, that you could take this away from me? And the Father says, no, this is the plan, Jesus, that you've been a part of. We designed this together at the very beginning of eternity, and we're not going to change the plan here in this moment. But one thing I will do is I will strengthen you with angels. He doesn't leave Jesus alone in the, the midst of this, this suffering and this grief and this loneliness. He sends him angels to strengthen him. And I need you to know that he sends angels to strengthen you as well. Not only do we have the fullness of God when we accept Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit in us, but we have angels. So God's like, I'm going to give you the comforter, the perfect piece of me to dwell inside of you, but I'm also going to send you some backup support. I'm going to send you angels that are going to help to strengthen you. You see, if you are feeling alone, if you are feeling separated from God, if you are feeling stuck, here's what you do. It's back to the neon lights. Throw yourself down, face down before God and pray. It's so simple. We surrender to God and we pray. And trust me, it will change the atmosphere. And you maybe, you don't feel it today, but you do it again tomorrow. And you do it again the next day. And you do it again the next day. And you chase after him until you do feel that connection back with God. Beloved, I know that God will not disappoint you. Because here's the thing about God, is that it is outside of his nature to not connect with us. When he covenanted with us, he made a obligation. He made a promise that he would always be there with us. He would never forsake us, never leave us. He would always be there. So here's the thing. If you're feeling separated from God, you need to throw yourself on the ground face first. You need to repent you need to ask for forgiveness because we're the broken side of this relationship and he's the perfect side of this relationship. So we come before him with hearts of reverence and he will never disappoint us, never. So don't give up pursuing him and surrendering to him. The second thing that I noticed in this passage was, was about the loneliness in relation to others. All right, so we're going to keep reading this passage in Matthew 26, and we're going to see how Jesus felt loneliness from other people. So it says, later, Jesus came back to his three disciples, and he found them all asleep. He awakened Peter and said to him, could you not stay awake with me for even one hour Keep alert and pray that you'll be spared from this time of testing. Your spirit is eager enough, but your humanity is weak. Then he left them for a second time to pray in solitude. He said to God, my father, 
If there is not a way you can deliver me from this suffering, then your will must be done. And he came back to the disciples and he found them asleep for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he left them and he went away to pray the same prayer for the third time. When he returned again to his disciples, he awoke them saying, are you still sleeping? Don't you know the hour has come for the son of man to be handed over to the authority of sinful men? Get up and let's go for the betrayer has arrived. I know there is no better friend than Jesus. He has never let me down. It's out of his character. He can't do it. He never disappoints me. And I know that the disciples felt the same way about Jesus. They literally left everything, jobs and families and security, to follow Jesus to be a part of what Jesus had planned here on earth. And in their imperfect love, they love the one who is perfect love. And they let Jesus down. He asked them to sit with him a while while he went and prayed. And these three friends fell asleep. And he gave them three chances and they fell asleep. Well, here's something I want you to notice about this passage. That Jesus comes back and he addresses his friend's slip up. He's like, dudes, like buddies, like friends. Couldn't you stay awake with me just for a little bit? Couldn't you stay alert? You see, Jesus knew that their intentions were good. They had, they had given up their lives for him. He knew their intentions, but he also knew their humanity, right? He knew that they were human and were going to make mistakes. And here's the thing about relationships and friendships, is that no matter how much we try, we're going to make some mistakes. I mean, if the disciples made mistakes and they were best friends with the perfect son of God, I think we're going to make some mistakes, right, when it comes to relationships with one another, right? I'm pretty sure, yes. So I wanted you to get a pen and a paper, and I want you to write down some notes, okay? I have five top tips to defeat loneliness, all right? And so these are practical tips to defeat loneliness and work on healthy friendships. So the first one is that we get so close to Jesus that we smell like him. All right? We get so close to Jesus, we smell like Jesus. No more negative Nelly. No more grumbling Gus, right? No more stinking thinking. No more smelly thoughts. Instead, we get so close to Jesus that he changes the way we think so that we think like him. Because I'm pretty sure most of us, if we started to like dig deep and say, like, what kind of a friend am I? Am I worthy to? to be a friend, I think a lot of us would get pretty negative pretty fast. But Jesus is saying, you know what? You are awesome. You are awesome. And here's the thing about the God of the universe. He doesn't make mistakes and he does not make people mistakes. So if you were created by him, he loves you. He doesn't make mistakes. So we take the mistake thing off the table and now here you are, somebody who's worthy to be loved 
loved by God. And so if you're worthy to be loved by God, who is perfect, you are worthy to be loved by somebody else. So I want you just to type in the chat right now if you're with us online or if you're here in the parking lot and you're with somebody in your vehicle. I want you to say, I am worthy to be loved. Type it in the chat. I am worthy to be loved. Say it to each other. I am worthy to be loved. You see, here's the thing. That when you smell like Jesus, trust me, people are going to like you. People are going to love to be around you when you smell like Jesus. Do you know what fruit smells like? Like, of course we do, right? We know what strawberries smell like when they've just come out of the garden and they're just like ripe and sweet and delicious or raspberries that have just been taken off the bush. They're just delicious and they just smell so good. Well, what does Jesus smell like? He smells like the fruits of the Spirit, it says in Galatians 5. And I love this translation from the Passion. It says, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love. Okay, so it's the perfect Jesus. It's the perfect love. It's the perfect Son who is working through you in all of its varied expressions. Joy that overflows. I want that fruit. Does anybody want that fruit? I want joy that overflows. Peace that subdues. I want peace. I want peace like a river. I want peace like a blanket in my life. Patience that endures. Patience that endures. Kindness in action. A life full of virtue. Faith that prevails. Gentleness of heart and strength of the spirit. These are the fruits of Jesus. And then it says, never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. This orchard never runs out. This fruit of Jesus never runs out. It is limitless. It is limitless. And we want to smell like Jesus. We want to smell like him in our relationships. And you know, so many of you here at Gateway, well, I'm going to say all of you, although I don't know everyone that's here, you guys smell good. Like when I come for church-wide prayer on Sunday mornings at 10, 15, which by the way, you're all invited, you smell good. Your prayers smell good. I want you to say to somebody near you, you smell good. Type it in the chat. You smell good. You smell like Jesus to me. You smell good. You smell like the fruits of the Spirit. Now, here's the other thing. Who knows what rotten fruit smells like? I do. I just cleaned my fridge out yesterday. It doesn't smell too good. I want to smell good. I want to smell like Jesus so that when you come near me, you're like, dang, she smells good. She smells like Jesus. Well, that's my first tip in relationships to build healthy friendships is to first get so close to Jesus that you smell like Jesus. Second, 
We want to love by stripping off unhealthy expectations. So we're going to strip off unhealthy expectations off ourselves and off each other. You see, Jesus didn't put these grand, overwhelming, unattainable expectations on people, did he? He's like literally like, friends, come to the garden with me and pray, right? Like watch over. And when they don't and they make mistakes, he's like, dudes, like I was kind of hoping you were going to stay awake, but you didn't. He doesn't like publicly embarrass them. Like he, he has just realistic expectations. He's like, come and pray and spend time with me and forgive each other and love one another and, and share with each other the good news. It's pretty simple. But you see, we have these expectations that we put on ourselves and we put on other people. And some of them are unhealthy. And, and we, we have this idea that people need to pursue us or chase us or, or come after, you know, and desire to be a friend of ours. No, 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 no. Get yourself in the game. I'm telling you, take off those expectations and get yourself into the game, right? Take off the expectation that, that somebody needs to be perfect to be your friend. Take off the expectation that you need to be perfect in order to be somebody's friend, right? You see, here's the thing. Even as Christians, we're going to hurt each other sometimes. We are. We're just going to. It's like Paul who says, we do the things we don't want to do. None of us want to hurt each other. But we're human, and sometimes we're going to make mistakes relationally. So here's what we do. We take off those expectations of each other, right? It's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to smell like rotten fruit. I'm not going to put that expectation on you. I want to smell like Jesus. I want to smell good. And so I'm going to have healthy expectations in my friendships, right? It is time. It's time for us to grow up and stop playing games with each other. Like so many times people say to me, oh, I'm in a, I'm in a situation and it feels like I'm back in high school. Here's the thing, church. Who said the teenagers were allowed to misbehave and act like that in high school? Who said that was okay? No, 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 no. When Dwayne and I were, when our kids were really little, we decided then that we were going to have great teenagers. Why? Because we were going to show them how to resolve conflict. We were going to show them how to respect people. We were going to show them what it was like to be in community with others. We were going to show them that sometimes we make mistakes and that we love each other radically and we forgive one another. And you know, there's there's definitely been hormones in my house, but I gotta say, I got fantastic teenagers. I have amazing young women of God that don't bring a lot of drama because that's the expectation that we have. We work through our stuff. We take off those unhealthy expectations. And I'm not saying if you're struggling right now as a parent with teenagers that, that you're not doing a good job because, oh my goodness, there's so many pressures in the world right now. There's so much for teens and for kids to have to deal with. And so I just bless you. But here's the thing. Let's not make excuses for bad behavior. No, no, no. We're not going to let teenagers get away with that because we're not going to let us get away with that. We're going to learn better conflict resolution skills, right? That's right. 
We're going to grow up in our behaviors because what it does is it combats loneliness. Why? Because then I become an attractive friend to be around, don't I? I smell good, don't I? That's right. All right, my third tip for you is that we're going to clean out our ears, okay? We're going to clean out our ears. This is how we build healthy relationships is by loving people by listening to them. Most people now don't listen with the intent to understand the person they're in conversation with. They listen with the intent to reply. We all have that friend, right? That you barely got your sentence out or your story out and they're like interrupting you to give you their opinion, to give you their advice. Church, we got to get better at this. We need to clean out our ears and we need to love each other by listening to one another. If you leave a conversation and think, oh man, that was a great conversation that I just had with somebody, and then you think, um, what did I actually learn about them? What did they actually share with me? If you're thinking that, guess what? You're talking too much. You need to stop and listen. You need to ask some good questions. Hey, tell me your story. Hey, what can I pray for in your life? Let's not have answers and opinions and advice to every single thing. Let's love each other by listening to one another. You know, interruption has just gotten ridiculous. Church, we set an example when we are in the marketplace, when we are in schools, when we're here, when we're in connect group, we have got to get better at listening to each other. This is how we love. We love by listening. The word silent, oh, sorry, I messed it up. <laughs> the word listen has the exact same letters as the word silent. The word listen has the exact same letters as the word silent. Woo, that's a good word, Jesus. Somebody say amen. That's a good word, Jesus. Woo, right? We need to love each other by listening. All right, the fourth tip that I've got for you today is time after time. You know, there's a lot of fantastic things that came out of the 80s. I went to high school in the 80s, graduated in 1990. And, you know, the bangs and the neon and uh, the jean jacket. Actually, I was thinking the jean jacket. This is not my high school jean jacket, um, but the jean jackets. I remember, like, putting pins down my skirt and, like, just the fashion. There was a lot of fantastic things that came out of the 80s. And one of them is Cindy Lauper. Yes. And you know what she said? She had some great advice. She said, if you're lost... You can look and you will find me time after time, right? That's what Cindy told us. She's like, time after time. If you're lost and you look, you'll find me time after time. I'll be there for you because I will love you with my time. Here's something I noticed about Jesus. As I get to know him and as I'm reading the Gospels, Nowhere in there does it say that he was in a rush. 
that he was in a hurry, right? Have you ever noticed that? The Bible doesn't say Jesus was in a hurry. Jesus was late. Jesus was on his way and he was rushing to get across the Sea of Galilee, right? Like it doesn't ever say that. Instead, it's like Jesus took time and he saw people. And there's this one story of when he's in this house and the house is packed full of people and he's preaching and and some friends like open up the roof and they lower their crippled friend through the roof so that Jesus could could heal their friend. And Jesus could have been like, excuse me, folks, I'm in a three-point sermon and I'm on my third point. Like, take this guy and get this guy out of here. Like, I don't have time. Do not interrupt me. But no, no, Jesus doesn't do that. He sees the man. He sees his need. He helps him. He loves him. He takes the time. It doesn't doesn't matter to him that he's been interrupted. He sees the person. He sees the person, and he's present and attentive, and he's fully devoted to whoever he is spending time with. And I know I've had that friend that's kind of like looking at their clock and kind of, you know, I get that feeling like I'm just not cool enough to be in their presence Well, Jesus is saying to you, you are cool enough to be in my presence. I always have time for you, Jesus says. Yeah, he's always got time for you. Time after time. Oh, Cindy Lauper, time after time. This is how we love, time after time. All right, my fifth point and last point is that we got to get the junk out of our trunk. Yeah, You know what? Part of why we're lonely, and and I was really reflecting on this for myself, so I'm like, I'm sharing with you, is, is that we got so much junk in our trunk that we're carrying around that we don't think that we're worthy to actually be a friend to somebody else. And so we're lonely and we're isolated because we, we just have too much junk that we need to deal with. And so I, I, have, I have some stuff for you to show you today. Okay, so this here, this is the old me. Okay, this is the old Kimmy. This is my old identity. And you see, when I think about being a friend to somebody, these things get in the way. There's all this junk in my trunk, all this identity that's like all messed up. And I think, no, 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 I can't be friends with somebody because I've been rejected by friends. I've been rejected by family. I've been rejected at school. I've been hurt. I've been rejected at work. And so what do I do? I complain and I blame and I have guilt and I have control issues and I criticize and I think I have nothing valuable to say and I have too many sins. Look at me. So much of me here. I'm not interesting. I have fear. You know, somebody said to me not that long ago, you won't want to be friends with me because I have too many sins. Like I was on a highway to hell and I don't want to take you with me. So I don't think we should be friends. And I was like, oh, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is stronger. You know, Jesus is going to work through this friendship and he sure has. Shame. We think we're not lovable, right? 
We have this like old identity of ourselves. And you know what we do? And you know what's so cool is this box actually said empty box on it. I didn't write that. I just thought that was pretty cool. But what we do is we isolate. And we take that old identity of who we are and we isolate. And we put it in our house or our, our bedroom or wherever, our car, and we isolate ourselves, and we think that we're doing okay because we got the friend of our old self, right? I got the old identity of me, of who I am, and so we think we're doing okay. And so what we do is we, like, actually box ourselves up. We actually, like, isolate, and we're like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be friends with anybody because I might get hurt. No, 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 no. I'm not going to be friends. Woo! Woo! I just about fell over. That would not have worked very well. Well, you see, here's what we do is we think, if I just stay home, if I just isolate from everybody, I'll be okay because I got my old self. I got my, my old sin nature, and I'll be okay in this cardboard box all by myself. But here's the thing. The cardboard box is temporary. And when the storms of life come, it's... <laughs> it's temporary, right? Exactly. This box is not going to be stable enough to get me through. No, no, no. Jesus says to me, he's like, take this old self, this old identity, kick it to the curb. You know, Graham Cook actually says these incredible words. He says, God doesn't want to take the dead old identity, your old self, and do plastic surgery on the dead. God doesn't want to do that. God wants the new you, the new creation, your new identity. And when you have Jesus in your life, you now have an anchor, right? And you see, we have this certain hope, like a strong, unbreakable anchor that holds our souls. Look at this box. It's not even going to hold up, right? It's temporary, and what I need is I need something eternal. I need the permanent. I need the anchor. I need to be anchored to Jesus. So what happens is when an opportunity comes, I'm anchored to Christ. When a storm comes, I'm anchored to Christ, right? When life's problems come, I'm anchored to Christ. When I get hurt in a relationship, I'm anchored to Christ. And this is my identity is in Jesus Christ my anchor because he is strong he is unbreakable he is immovable and he will never let me go he will never let me sit in loneliness if I come after him church kick that old sin nature that old identity to the curb break free from the emptiness of loneliness and encounter the one who is stable, who is solid. Build your foundation on him. Be anchored to Jesus Christ because he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy.